Hi, welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net, celebrating 25 years of existence. You can read all of my reviews going back all the way to 1996 at Quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to take a look at my other podcast. There's a link there to Around the World in 80s Movies, where I look at deep dives, about a half hour in length each for films of the 1980s and a lot of classics there that I encourage you to look at. Check it out at quipster.net. Today I'm going to be getting into a film that a lot of people didn't know if it would ever get released and it finally did get released on the HBO Max service here in the United States. There may be other streaming platforms in different countries that may provide this. Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League the film is its more of an R-rated take because there is a some brief strong language, a little stronger language than you would typically find in a PG-13 release. But of course, there's quite a bit of comic science fiction violence and action as well. The runtime is probably the most notable thing here. It's four hours and two minutes long. The cast, well, it's Ray Fisher, Ezra Miller, Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot, Jason Momoa, Joe Morton, Henry Cavill... Amy Adams, Jeremy Irons, Diane Lane, and quite a few other guest appearances. I won't spoil them all here. Kieran Hines also provides the voice of the main bad guy. Zack Snyder is the director, this time for real. And the screenplay credited to Chris Terrio, alone, not with Joss Whedon this time out. Although the behind-the-scenes details have always been kind of sketchy, we do know that 2017's Justice League, that was released in theaters, it was credited to Zack Snyder as the director, but it was more the direction that the studio wanted the franchise to go than where Snyder happened to be taking it at the time. Warner Brothers, they'd grown increasingly disenchanted with their decision for Snyder to be the architect of their cinematic universe, and they wanted to take a little bit more active role here and try to steer the ship into a much lighter and much more optimistic direction. Now, when Snyder wanted to put such things as a, a romance between Bruce Wayne and a grieving Lois Lane, you know, Warner Brothers decided, well, you know, maybe we do need to step in. Maybe we need to reel this in. And they began to say no a little bit more often this time and to demand that Snyder keep his film to no more than two hours in length. They wanted to suppress a lot of his indulgences and they wanted to be a little bit more lucrative this time out to make more money at the box office with increased showings that a two-hour film would provide. Now, in May of 2017, Snyder, he stepped down from the project. He was under so much personal and professional pressure at that time he just couldn't handle it anymore. A lot of that happened to be due to overwhelming grief, as well as some reported alcohol abuse on and off the set. Really, it stemmed from the suicide of his 20-year-old daughter, Autumn, two months prior. Now, Warner assigned in Snyder's place two-time Avengers crossover writer-director Joss Whedon. He came in and stepped in. Now, although we in the public were told that Whedon was merely finishing the film for Snyder, he actually served more like a hired gun here. He wrote and he shot entirely new scenes at the request of the studio and also his own 
impulses. Now, Warner wanted more levity. They wanted more optimism. In comparison, at least with the Marvel franchise films, they were much more successful instead of that dark and brooding nature of the Snyderverse films that seemed to be only really enjoyed by a, a smallish, comparatively, but very loyal fan base. Meanwhile, there was some more controversy. Actor Ray Fisher, he claimed that Joss Whedon, he was abusive and he was very unprofessional on the Justice League set. And Fisher also said that DC Entertainment's Jeff Johns and Warner Production head John Berg, they were enabling Whedon's behavior and that Whedon started cutting out a lot of the people of color from the film and even tampered with his skin tone in this movie. Whedon's spokesperson claims that all these digital alterations that are claimed, those are handled by a variety of other people. The studio then decided to conduct an internal investigation of Fisher's claims. We don't know necessarily the outcome of that, but Christina Carpenter and Michelle Trachtenberg, they corroborate. Whedon tended to have an environment of cruelty on the sets, at least of the TV shows Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, so definitely has a history, according to people who've worked with him. Now, evidence continued to spread, though, in the meanwhile, that Snyder had actually completed, at some point, a rough cut of his film. Some claim it's about 140 minutes long, but, you know, that changes as more stories come out. Fanboys decided to clamor on social media and other places to hashtag release the Snyder cut because what Warner released, at least they felt, was a compromised vision at best, and at worst, it was a complete butchering of Snyder's film. Gal Gadot, Ben Affleck, they went public with their belief that Warner really should let out what Snyder had done, and Jason Momoa, in fact, claimed to have seen Snyder's unfinished footage and that it absolutely deserved to go public. Obviously, that just fueled the fan base as well. Now, when Anne Sarnoff took over the reins of Warner, the fans bombarded her with all of their pleas. This was a new head, and, you know, maybe she could be the one to deliver it. And then, actually, pretty soon, the Snyder Cut was, in fact, announced for release as an exclusive for their new HBO Max service, and that would help HBO Max compete against the likes of big power players like Disney Plus and Netflix, and, you know, and people nowadays are stuck at home due to the COVID-19 pandemic. We were all looking for new content to consume, and certainly big content like this would provide a welcome respite. And this would really provide a low-risk proposition generated a lot of publicity for their service within a very key demographic of younger consumers, ones that had a huge fan base and were very loyal. And knowing that the film is going to a streaming platform, Snyder, he became liberated. Former restrictions no longer applied. He didn't have to worry about removing scenes because of time or trying to appease the corporate suits for trying to get more butts into theaters. Now, Warner initially, when they were thinking about doing this. They actually just wanted to release the rough cut as it was. No additional work. But Snyder flat out refused because it seemed like if they were going to do that, Warner was not really caring about anything except, you know, maybe keeping the trolls off of their back that have been there for years or maybe putting out an incomplete product that the world would then see as some sort of vindication that they were right to meddle in the decisions because what we were going to see was a heavily limited version. Snyder said he would rather that his cut be like this unicorn, this myth of wonder in people's minds instead of seeing it in a non-functional, incomplete state. 
To get Warner interested, executives were invited into a screening of the nearly four-hour work print that Snyder had on his laptop, and he showed it in the theater in his home. It was just black and white footage. It had unfinished effects. There were quite a few scenes that were just storyboarded sequences that were put in there to try to tie in the finished scenes together, but it was the full story that he wanted to tell. But to bring it to life, to make it much more appealing to actually complete this with the score and the special effects and whatnot, hundreds of new computer-generated effects, about two and a half hours of additional scenes that needed new work, and new music, they negotiated a budget back and forth, and $70 million was what was budgeted to bring the Zack Snyder cut to life. Now, Snyder would accept no fee for his services other than what they had already paid him in exchange for complete creative control. That's what he wanted to do with his cut what he wanted with the money without them interfering. He could also use this opportunity to try to shed light and bring funds to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention as a way to honor his daughter, Autumn. And Snyder got to work reconnecting with screenwriter Chris Terrio to help shape this rough cut into a new movie unshackled by those prior commercial considerations that he felt ruined the last time out. Now, Warner initially contemplated releasing the film onto the platform in four chapters instead of all at once. But once it was complete, they did approve to just put it out as a complete four-hour cut because there was some question there that if releasing it in chunks would have voided the contracts that describe it as a film this would be more classified like a TV show or a miniseries instead of a movie. So Snyder just said, go ahead and just put it out there all at once, and so we don't have to worry about it. Now, Snyder estimates that this new cut contains about two and a half hours of previously unseen footage, and it explores much more some of the newcomers to the franchise. Barry Allen as The Flash, Victor Stone as Cyborg are finally given their due, and he also reintroduces Steppenwolf and his new god nephew Darkseid, a big power player in the DC universe, as, you know, a bigger boss supervillain that would somehow shape the Justice League's films down the road, at least that's what he had planned to do. Now, none of the footage in Snyder's cut contains anything that was actually shot by Joss Whedon. Snyder says he would rather destroy his movie altogether than include a single frame that he did not actually direct. He never even watched what Warner did with Justice League after he left. He heard enough through the complaints of others, including his wife and Christopher Nolan, to know that he should never probably look at it. It would just be an utter disappointment. In fact, maybe a soul-crushing experience if he were to see what they did with it. New special effects. Tom Holkenberg's score now accompanied the repackaged and extended release. The one notable thing, I think if you watch this film, you'll notice it is in the 4-3 aspect ratio. You know, you're going to see the black bars, but they're on the sides because he happened to be shooting in that ratio, which was meant to be shown in IMAX theaters. And so he shot the whole film in 35 millimeter, but as if it were going to be shown in an IMAX theater all along. Now, anticipation for the Snyder Cut grew exponentially when a new trailer featuring Jared Leto's Joker, the only newly shot sequence of Snyder's film that actually he did in the backyard of his home. And the reason why he included Joker into this film is because Ben Affleck, he actually bailed on the intended solo spin-off Batman film that he was going to be in. And so Warner rebooted with the new Batman with Robert Pattinson, obviously very, very well publicized going forward. And that really denied 
the intended scenes, the intended conflict that would happen between Leto's iteration of Joker and the Affleck iteration of Batman. And so Snyder thought, you know, it's a shame that we weren't going to get that. So he did put that in here in the film's epilogue. And Snyder also adds some additional nuggets during the epilogue that really suggest a lot of what the Snyderverse might maybe could have been if he continued. You know, it's still a question as to whether he'll be involved at all in shaping the DCEU henceforth. There was a Green Lantern scene that was meant for the film. It was changed into the Martian Manhunter character at the end of this. He also includes Joe Manganiello as Deathstroke, the intended main villain for the solo Batman film, which Snyder also intended to pattern after David Fincher's The Game, except with Bruce Wayne's life being the one that was dismantled. You know, Snyder here, he's kind of throwing a bone to the fans to see, at least for a moment or two, just a taste of what was eventually going to come if all of these problems didn't develop. Now, as with the 2017 version of Justice League, the story does follow the events of Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Superman is dead, and that really leaves a vacuum as Earth's protector. There's a hulking alien from the planet Apocalypse named Steppenwolf. He comes to Earth to retrieve The three hidden mother boxes, these cube-like artifacts with mysterious powerful energy enough to destroy planets when they're all combined, and Batman alone can't take on such forces. He decides to round up a team of Earth's remaining superpowered beings to try to stop impending doom. Of course, we have the goddess-like Wonder Woman, the godlike Atlantean King Aquaman, the Turbo Speed Demon Flash, and the cybernetic wizard named Cyborg. Yet, it seems that they're still going to need, if not Superman, the power of Superman to try to stem the forces that are coming to Earth to threaten all life as we know it. Getting into more of the review here, I think if the Snyder Cut is going to put anything to rest once and for all, I think it's that Snyder's original vision for Justice League should not have been tampered with. It's nothing revolutionary, but it definitely paces a lot better than Whedon's take. This story actually makes some sense when you watch it in its four-hour format. Obviously, they have more time to explore, but very few people could really relate to the theatrical cut of this film. It just really made no sense. So much was cut out. It also places a solid emphasis on these newcomers to the screen, The Flash and Cyborg and... It contains genuinely compelling moments, unlike the one that we saw in theaters. In fact, when Snyder came back to the property, he did realize that the main arc of the film is indeed cyborgs. He built this new cut around that. This is a cyborg film, and it just happens to be ensconced with the rest of the power players in the DCEU. Now, there's more room here for a story to breathe in four hours, of course. It also introduces us to two major heroes, a couple of major villains, and then we have to see the formation of the Justice League in a way that feels natural. Not easy to do in two hours, but you definitely can do it in four because you have basically the space of two movies here. Cyborg scenes, I do think, are the most compelling. I think the Flash sequences are the most fun. They definitely offer some welcome comic relief. This is a very dark film otherwise. And that's enough to elevate Justice League as more than the typical Spider money shot marathon. He actually shows that he has some skills and can actually make it make sense when he's not having to chop out all of the exposition like he has done in the past. Now, although I do think that this cut is a better overall experience 
It still does suffer from some inherent problems. Snyder's delivery here is very dark, very brooding. That atmosphere places emotional weight on sequences. It doesn't really have a lot of adequate buildup for the kind of very heavy maudlin tone that it does take sometimes. The characters, they're still very superficial. We don't really feel their state of mind, even though we're supposed to. And it does come across kind of troubled, kind of emo, but it doesn't really keep us connected into their plight adequately because these are people or gods or beings that we don't really feel a close connection with. It's very superficial. So the mother boxes are still here and they're derived from the mind originally of Jack Kirby back in the 1970s. I do think they make more sense in the Snyder Cut. They're still, though, a fairly uninspired concept here because they serve pretty much the same function as the infinity stones that we've seen in the marvel cinematic universe and they look like the all spark from the transformers and carry some of that tone too and compounding those the steppenwolf character still very boring villain he looks formidable but he doesn't really captivate the screen like the joker or lex luthor or one of these other villains might and he has this parademon army. They're just uninteresting. They're seemingly here only for the good guys to smash up while performing these Snyder-esque slow-mo heroic battle postures that he likes to throw in throughout his films. Now, Snyder has had pretty much <laughs> almost in his entire career, he's had quite a few director's cuts that were released on DVD or Blu-ray. They were much longer, not necessarily better, but... They tended to explain at least their plot a little better, I guess, for people who enjoyed these films or at least tried to follow their plots. But oftentimes, I think they meant more excess, more redundant action and those hero poses I talked about. Snyder's tendency is to slow down the action. He thinks that slowing things down means it's more exciting because we can see all of the special effects in full glory. But I do think they often prolong the monotony because the sequences that they're in are usually already overextended. So emotional moments, anguished characters here, Lois Lane mourning for Superman or Clark Kent, you know, reminds us of how absent the development of their relationship really was that we're supposed to really feel for Lois Lane in this moment. And yet it still rings hollow, despite a very capable actor here in Amy Adams, as well as some support by Diane Lane to do the crying and the hugging. It just feels like it should have been more developed in those earlier films. Now, Superman, obviously he does come back. Not really a spoiler to tell you that. He's relegated mostly to like a deus ex machina plot device for the end of this film. He returns from the dead. Again, a missed opportunity. His return from death should be really exciting and emotional and impactful, but it couldn't lack here any more grandeur or gravitas. It's really a missed opportunity to do something. There are limitations to doing a very stylish kind of superficial film built on big platitudes and big themes. You don't really get to feel these characters as real. They are much more symbolic, and that's why it just does fall short. It's not really worth exploring these characters on any kind of psychological or emotional level beyond the needs of the story in any given scene. Now, Superman does get to appear in a black suit. You know, that will titillate fans because it's kind of a nod to the death of Superman saga from the comic books. 
Steppenwolf has a different look here than he did in the Whedon version of this film. He has more of a metallic makeover, much more CG component to him. And he's a little bit more sympathetic this time out. He's not pure evil. He's doing it. He's doing evil for another purpose. There's more evil work at play because Snyder is introducing us to Darkseid, the longtime major villain in the comic books for the Justice League and in cartoons. And Snyder also planned Darkseid to develop much more into the main foe in the DCEU for future Justice League team-up battles, which is why he threw him in here. The erratic effects here, despite a lot of money thrown at this film, they can sometimes be very overbearing, and the film does devolve on occasion into mind-numbing displays of light and sparkles and slow motion for minutes at a time. Compounding the issue is that some of these CG-enhanced moments have choreography that feels a little too herky-jerky. There's kind of an uncanny valley aspect when we see character movements, whenever Wonder Woman comes into play and does any kind of hand-to-hand combat, or Steppenwolf jumps around. The physics of it are just not right. Maybe that's why Snyder prefers slow-mo handling. You know, we don't get as caught up in the weirdness of the way it looks. The rampant green screening of this film also contributes to making it look a little more like a video game than it should instead of kind of like a a fantasy experience of real world physics and look. So when things get destroyed, it just feels like we're still watching a CG component here. I think one thing we can be thankful for in this version is the absence of that very pointless Russian family from the Whedon cut. That really dragged all momentum down whenever they appear. They do not appear here. A lot of the decisions in retrospect that Whedon made just just seem to be the wrong ones. I I think there's nothing really that I miss from that two-hour version. In fact, I probably will never watch it again after seeing Snyder's Cut because Snyder's Cut is indeed better and it's definitely not nearly as annoying. The lengthy epilogue here, it does exist mostly as fan service. You know, it really is just kind of a, a what if, like what could have been if only Warner would have just let Snyder continue doing what he's doing. It's kind of a tease. It's kind of like showing off to your ex, you know, how good you've been working out, you know, whatever. I don't, it's it's hard to explain, but it's just basically Snyder just trying to make the fans salivate even more about what they are missing by Warner continuing on and making decisions without him, I guess. And the epilogue, I don't think it really adds anything to the preceding story. It does deny us the closure befitting a lengthy and exhausting extravaganza. So if Snyder's not coming back, it's kind of a thing that's just there to titillate fans and to get them to request the next Snyder film online and be belligerent about it as they have been for just releasing this cut. And I think that is in keeping because Justice League really, at least Zack Snyder's version, plays much more like a a fan film than it is kind of a standalone story to try to entertain anything beyond fans of this series so far. So if you're a fan, I guess you will enjoy it and some people will enjoy it very much. If you're not a fan, I don't think this is the kind of movie that's going to convert you into becoming a huge fan of the DCEU. But unlike Whedon's version, I do think that the Snyder version hits enough strides at regular intervals that it makes Warner's preferred take the one that they consider to be still canon, something that a lot of people are just going to ignore from here on out. Now, the film is dedicated very sweetly to Snyder's daughter, Autumn, in the end, and the song that plays out over the credits, Hallelujah, happened to be her favorite song, and it's sung here by Alison Crowe, who performed it at 
Autumn's funeral. So much more emotional take knowing that at the end of this film than anything that we saw, even the death of Superman in any of the Snyder films. Snyder did find it a very cathartic experience to finish this film and to honor her memory. And I think that for fans who have clamored for this film for over three years, it's definitely a cathartic experience to finally see it come to life and to see it in all its glory. It definitely is everything that you wanted it to be, I assume, if you're a fan of Snyder. I guess the only question coming out of this is, what are the fans going to do next, other than clamor for Snyder to come back and direct yet again, maybe petition for the release of David Ayer's cut of Suicide Squad. I definitely would be up to see that, being a fan of Ayer. As for what I give Zack Snyder's Justice League, well, the one that Whedon did, I gave a mediocre grade. That was a two and a half star movie for me. Not enough for me to recommend, even though there were, were elements there that I did like. This version I like quite a bit more. Not enough to say it's a out-and-out good film I would recommend to most people, but I definitely would recommend it to fans if you've been a fan of the DCEU. I do think that this is probably the best that Zack Snyder has done. I think it's better than Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. It is, and it is four hours, and I don't feel... You know, if you're used to binge watching at home, you know, these shows, you know, four or five, six, seven episodes at a time... It's very much in keeping with that. It's very episodic. As I mentioned earlier, it was going to be released in chunks, and it does feel like you're watching several episodes in a row. So if you're somebody who's already accustomed to that, as most of us have been over the last year since being on lockdown, and there are chapter stops, so you're kind of welcome to walk away, you know, one or two or three hours in and pick it up a little bit later and not really feel like you missed anything. So it has that advantage there too. So, you know, really enough for me to give it a recommendation to people who have been expecting this. So three stars out of four is what I give Zack Snyder's Justice League. If you do have a different take than me, or maybe just want to agree, you can find my contact information on my website. That's at quipster.net. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. Links to my Twitter feed, my Facebook page, my Instagram. Please follow me all there for different things that I post that are a little bit extra tidbits that I may not have covered in this review. Or you can just engage me in conversation there. At Quipster.net, you can find all the links. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And please enjoy your time. Anytime you're either getting to go to the movies, they're starting to open up again, or... You're watching a cinematic extravaganza right in the comfort of your very own home.